Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Look at you warriors brave in the rain. You're not afraid, are you? You know who is afraid? Baptisms. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, uh, we, every, after every week, we have baptisms, but not this week because it's cold and it's raining. So listen, if you're here and you're going to get baptized this week and you're just like, woo, next week, we'll see you. Like, like truly, we'll do it. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Um, it's going to be great. So we'll do that. I, also, before we jump in, I want to say if you have served our nation in the United States Armed Forces, I want to say thank you for your service. Yeah. I, I graduated high school in 1995, um, uh, or as my kids say, in the late 1900s, which is <laughs> offensive, right? Um, it was a very different gig. In 1995, you graduate high school and you go into the Air Force because it's a nice, safe place to go and see. And it is a very different environment now. And so I just want to say I'm grateful for you. Thank you for uh, being, being willing to contend and consider sacrifice. Uh, we're, grateful, we're grateful for you. And I just pray blessing and safety and encouragement and health um, for you and for your family. So God bless you for that. Um, and we begin each week as we do with our confession. Our confession is we're badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. We've been, uh, for the last couple weeks, really kind of just winding out. We've had this kind of fall long series of series. And we started with this idea that discipleship is a long walk to freedom. And it's important that we remember it and recognize it as a long walk to freedom because otherwise we can get discouraged, right? Like you can just be like, man, I've been a Christian. I've been trying to follow Jesus for like a month and it's just not getting any better, right? Or in my case, like I've been trying, like I got saved as a kid maybe, like, but I've been following Jesus like for 20 years and I still wake up in the morning and I'm just like, it's still just me, all right? Like, like with all that. And so we've realized that, this journey to be like Christ, it's a long journey, and it takes the rest of our lives. But there are things that we can do to help. It's not up to us. We don't do it. It's something that God, through his Holy Spirit, does. But we can walk the process. We can take part in the practices. We talked about reading your Bible and prayer and fasting and community and fellowship. And what we started to look is really how the Holy Spirit works on that. Because it's not just a matter of us going, now I'm going to get it, right? We believe that the Holy Spirit has to work something in us to make that happen. What that looks like is it begins with conviction. Conviction is kind of a big, ugly, heavy word. But conviction just begins in that moment where we just go, I don't think it should be that way. You say something in a meeting, you participate maybe in a conversation that you've had a thousand times about somebody else and something in your heart, you go, you know what, that seems like gossip. 
And in that moment, we face an important decision. Maybe, as of that moment, the most important decision we're ever going to make. Do we agree with that conviction, or do we begin the process of self-defense and self-justification? When we're standing with people that we've stood with forever, and they're talking about somebody, and we say all the things that we've always said, but something in our heart goes, you know, there's a different way. Immediately in that moment, there's a question. Will you say yes to the conviction and just go, you know... That person, you know, they don't, you know, yeah, let's talk about something else. Or do we go, well, I've always done this. It's not that bad. We'll just kind of go. The question is, do you say yes to that internal voice? And listen, maybe sometimes you don't even know what it is. Maybe you just go, man, the way I've been walking, it's not right. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And then as we agree with that and we go, Holy Spirit, I recognize now that there are things in my life that don't make it possible for me to experience your kingdom here. What we say is, we rather than making peace, what we do is we make war. We pick fights. We gossip. We set people against each other, right? And so the Holy Spirit says, I want to remove all of those things from you so that you can now live a life of freedom. And it, the, the great part about freedom is it's, it's not just freedom like I can listen to whatever music I want or do whatever I want. It's freedom to be the you that you were created to be. Now, I didn't say that you are free to never have a bad day. You will have terrible days. I wish I could tell you differently, but I wouldn't be doing you any favors. Here's what I want to say, though. Here's what you get. On the middle, in the very gut center of the worst day of your life, you are free to exhibit peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Good things won't always happen to you, but you will now have this Holy Spirit ability to respond well. And what we call that is like you become a chip off the old block, right? Like you begin to look like your father. And the reason is because we move from conviction to adoption. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, good luck out there. I hope you're all right. What happens is he puts his spirit in us. And it's the spirit of adoption. It's the same spirit that recognizes our father as our father. It's that same spirit which enables us to obey him. So what happens is we get conviction. We are adopted into his, into his family. And then the process of good theological words, sanctification. In the relationships of our family, our character begins to be transformed. You know how that happens, right? Because in family, invariably, you're going to have to deal with crazy Uncle Ted, right? It may be crazy Uncle Henry. It may be crazy Aunt Sue. But you know who the person in your family is, don't you? If you don't know who the person in your family is, I may have bad news for you. Because here's what that looks like. Here's what sanctification looks like. The Holy Spirit comes in and gives you in your heart the ability to be patient, Patient. I'm perfectly patient right now. Do you know why? Because you're a captive audience and you'll be here till I'm done. <laughs> or you get up and walk out, right? I always say, I can be perfectly patient until I get behind the wheel of a car and somebody does, well, really anything that I don't want them to. So listen, our adoption is a part of our sanctification process because what the Holy Spirit does is he places us in a family, which is called the church, then he places us in the family. And what you can know is you, as a part of this family, are gonna have to deal with crazy Uncle Henry or your crazy Pastor Jason. And what is, so we just go, Lord, I know that your fruit is patience. You know how he gives us patience? By setting you next to somebody who drives you out of your ever-loving mind. 
I wish it were different. But what he does is he sets you there and he just goes, Jason, trust me. And I'm like, I'm grinding my teeth, right? Or you're grinding your teeth, right? But what happens is you go through an hour, you go to your small group and that person's there and you just the whole time, you just want to beat your head. That's why. But this and guess, you don't say anything. And at the end you go, that was a nice story, Harvey. And you walk out of the story and listen, guess what happened? You were just patient. You just demonstrated the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it would never have happened without the family of God around you. And you're like, I really want a different plan (laughs) (laughs) because I don't like that, right? But here's the deal. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction, which starts the whole process. It's the Holy Spirit which places us in a family, which really means that he's a part of that whole process. It's the Holy Spirit which reveals our need for sanctification and then works sanctification in us. And so here's the deal that we have to get as we come like this week and next week, the end of our Holy Spirit series. The thing that you have to wrestle with and and get with is that every, every activity in your spiritual life begins and is maintained by the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to tell you, and I mean this as good news for you. You are not capable on your own of doing enough to make Jesus love you. He just loves you. And not for one single second of your life has it been about earning it. Not for one single second of your life has it been about proving it? What it has been about for your life is experiencing it and then expressing it. You know what the difference is, right? To experience is to have something happen to you. To express it is to give that away. To experience baseball delight is for the Astros to win the World Series. That is the experience. And then to express it is to tell you all about it on and on and on ad nauseum. See, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to invade your space so that you experience something that you have to come to terms with and realize it's not out there. See, that's the thing. I can drink and drink and drink to make the problems go away, but the instant that I stop, there it is. I can can count on my savings, and I can manage my money as when I can. That is my security, and that is my safety, and I've done all of the things as right as they can be. So now that I am safe and insecure, and just like that, we wake up one morning in 2008, and the entire housing market has collapsed, and the economy goes into the toilet, and then what? See, what the Holy Spirit does is begins something in us that only he can complete, and that is good news for us. And what that means is that he is making us new. Listen, that's good. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture primarily today, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible or if you have a scroll or whatever it is, however it is that you get the Scripture, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, okay? So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're just going to Make this point about what the Holy Spirit does in us, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Listen, I want to talk to you if you're in here and you're maybe a skeptic, right? Like maybe somebody brought you and they said, we'll go to lunch afterwards. And you're like, I will endure anything for a free lunch. Well, listen... Your friend cares a great deal about you. They're glad you're here. Here's what I want you to know, right? Because you may have heard from somewhere else that this Christian life thing is about something else. I want to tell you, like as much as it depends on me and the way we see it, 
here, right? the elders are over here, they're not going to blow the heresy whistle at me or anything like that. Look, here, here's what this is about. The heart of God for you is nothing less than that you would be created new. And when I say new, what I mean by new is that you would be fitted to experience everything that life has for you now and for all of eternity. God's desire for you is that you wouldn't have to settle for shortcuts, right? We tinker with like sex and with drugs and with rock and roll and with workaholism and with all of that because it makes us feel good right now and for a minute. And what God says is, why would you trade a moment of something for eternity for everything? So what happens is when the Holy Spirit comes into us and he begins to fill us and transform us and sanctify us, we become fitted for eternal things. Here's what that means. Your capacity for joy expands. When the Holy Spirit begins to fill you and transform you. That means that that thing that you're chasing through addiction, that thing that you're chasing through gossip, that thing that you're chasing through reputation, Jesus has more of it. And he wants to give it to you so that it exudes from you and then it becomes the hallmark, the defining characteristic of your life. That's what we are saved from. We are saved from our old life. We are saved from a life where we are defined and characterized by whatever we can get out of it from someone or something else. We are saved from a life where if I am lonely, the best that I can hope for is some kind of party that ends at the night and leaves, leaves me with a headache the next morning. Jesus wants to fill you up with joy and peace and kindness and love that saturates you that you cannot escape from. Look, he says it in Galatians. Galatians chapter four, starting in verse four. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That word redeem is a good word. It's like to buy back. Um, it is a, it's a transaction word. So the old idea was people would have a debt, this great debt that they couldn't pay. And the only option then was debtor's prison or slavery. So you owe me $5,000. You come to my house and you'll be my servant and you'll be my slavery until that $5,000 is paid off. The problem with that system was then when you eat food at my house, well, now you're deeper in debt, so you have to work longer. So it becomes this never-ending cycle until someone else would come and pay that $5,000 and you were redeemed, set free. As soon as redemption comes, as soon as your debt is paid, you can now, you're no longer a slave to that house. You can now walk out and go. So what we're told here is that Jesus came to redeem us so that we might have adoptions as son. He's talking about a relationship. There's a difference between the person who works in your house and your heir who owns the house. Now, they may be too young to own it right now, but what we're told is that when that Holy Spirit comes in us, he makes us sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. I know that this just feels academic right now, but 
If you would go home and consider and contemplate what it would mean to be an heir of the living God. You know what an heir is? An heir is one who receives everything that the patriarch or the father has. So we serve a God who is sovereign over all of creation and he wants to make you an heir of that. Do you know what that means? That means all of a sudden when your car breaks down, it's not a world-ending catastrophe. What that means is, this is hard, are you ready? I'm not being trite with this, right? That means that when you get the diagnosis, and it's terrible, and it's going to last for a long time, maybe forever, what that means is that even if that takes you to the hospital and to your death, that is not the end of life. What it means is that in this situation, it's going to be okay. And listen, you have to hear this part. Even if it is not okay, it's going to be okay. Because I know some of you have been praying for healing for a long time. And I want you to know that just because Jesus isn't answering your prayer in the way that you want it done doesn't mean that he doesn't see you. What it means is that he, by his spirit, wants to do something in you to transform you, to sanctify you, to make you ready for that moment. Act as a son would. So you are now a new spirit in a new family with a new life. You're created new. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So let's talk about reconciliation for just a little bit, right? This is my friend Chris right here. Me and Chris, imagine that Chris and I get into a fight, right? Chris says um, that, you know, that, Pizza with pineapples is just disgusting. And I, as a Christian, know that pineapples are perfectly suited for pizza. And so Chris and I, like, we're going at it, right? So here's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation doesn't mean necessarily that Chris comes to the realization that I am right and more godly in my perspective. What reconciliation says is I look at Chris and I go, you are created in the image of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And I have the Holy Spirit in you. And that is far more important than toppings on pizza because this spirit and that spirit are going to live forever together in eternity. That's what reconciliation means. And what we're told is we have been reconciled to God through Christ. That's what Jesus did in you. Does it mean that you don't have any sin left? Of course it doesn't mean that. And listen, when you sin in some terrible, heinous way and it shocks you and you can't believe that you have sinned and that your heart is and you wonder, do I have to cover it up? Do I have to hide it? Let me just tell you, please don't. You're the only one who's shocked by your sin. You are the only one who can't conceive of the fact that you would have darkness in you. We know and we understand. But here's the idea. He says that we have been reconciled to God. That's the good news for you. I don't know what your sin is. I don't care what it is. Here's the thing that I know, biblically speaking, your sin is way worse than you think it is right now. Whatever that thing that you're convicted of right now, you need to say yes to that from the Lord, but just know there's more, and it goes deeper. It's a fundamental position against rebellion, of rebellion against God, right? So we've been reconciled, but what it says is that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry just means service. It's like waiting tables, okay? So what that means is that we are servers in the restaurant of life, and what we serve is reconciliation. Not 
Go fix it because you're terrible. That's what we want to say, right? But here's the thing. This is interesting. What we're told is that, well, let's see in just a second. Another verse. I should stay on this, right? All right. The picture is the funnel. Remember last week I talked about the funnel? And we get to direct, like you put stuff in and then stuff comes out, right? right? So what we put in is reconciliation. So what we're funneling around to the world is reconciliation. That's the message. God's not mad. God's made provision for you to get back, right? God's made it happen. So what is it that passes through that? Verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling to the world And he tells us how, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You know what the message of our faith is? Come home. Come home. Jesus loves you. The Father is waiting. And he wants to make you new. Too many times, though, our message is Get fixed up so you look like me, then we'll walk together. And what I would say is, that doesn't work. I can't even change my own heart, much less your heart. And there have been times, listen, I am 46 years old. I have been in full-time ministry for 20 years. And there are times where I wake up and I look and I get a new sense of conviction that I've never had before. And I go, man, I should probably not do that. Right, So the Lord is always convicting me of new things, of new attitudes, of ideas, and, and, and beliefs. So who am I to go to you who is still in process and speak condemnation? Who am I to go to you and speak God's angry at you? My message to you may be that behavior doesn't lead to life, but the message is reconciliation. The message is God has come back. The message is you can be forgiven. Verse 19. Yeah, he was reconciling us and he has committed that to us. We as the church are on a rescue mission, period. We are not on a scorched earth mission. It is not our responsibility to highlight for all the world to see what is good behavior and what is bad behavior. It is our message and our mission to find people who are far away from God. And you know what people who are far away from God look like, right? They're a disaster. Just like people who are close to God are often a disaster, right? But we have a chance to talk to them about hope and about peace about the one who really can make life different, right? That's what Jesus was about. That's how I know what our mission as a church is, because that's what Jesus did. Did Jesus come down and the first words out of his mouth were, y'all terrible, quit sinning, you losers. You know what Jesus' first message, the first words we find in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, you know what Jesus says? He says, hey, turn around because there's a new order. Come home. He says, you were created for the kingdom of God, and now it's here. Come home. He doesn't yell at anybody. He doesn't scream at anybody. He invites them to come home to the place. So the message, that's what Jesus does, and that's what he calls his church to do, to call us through forgiveness, not to condemn, but to restore. That's what following Jesus means. Let me say that again. The ministry of reconciliation, that is what it means to follow Jesus. 
Because Jesus was always moving around, right? Like he was, always, he was going to Samaria. Why did you go to Samaria? That's where the bad people are, right? The happy people. He's going to Samaria. He's going to the north. He went to Capernaum. He went everywhere. And his disciples were like, just pause, wait, just a minute here. And he's like, nope, we got to go. But we kind of feel like now, like, oh, well, Jesus saved me, so I'll just camp here, right? And this is my chair and my church, and this is where I go, and this is what I do. This is what following Jesus means. No, to follow Jesus literally means to follow where Jesus is. And where Jesus is is going to places where people, where he's not, and inviting them to come home. And what he tells you and me and us is, hey, I've placed you in a big, wide-open world where people don't know me, where they're not following me, but where they're searching for me everywhere. And what he wants us to do is just go say, hey, just go tell them. That's what Jesus did, and that's what he called the church to do, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. So here's the big idea. The Holy Spirit includes us in Jesus' ongoing ministry of reconciliation, and he empowers us with spiritual gifts. So you want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing with the church? You want to know what the role of the church is? When we, the church is the body of Christ. So that means that the church is going to do all of the things that Jesus did when Jesus was here. So did Jesus teach? Yes. That's why we teach at the body of Christ. Did Jesus worship? Yes. That's why we worship. Did Jesus heal? Yes. That's why we pray for healing. Did Jesus rebuke power structures that kept people from him? Yes, and God willing, we will do the same. Did God, Jesus, turn over tables? Yes, and when the time is right, God willing, let us be righteous and just in calling those things out like you did, right? But the idea here is we as a church, we are the family. And what that means is we are how God makes his case. We are how. And what I mean, I've said this before, right? If we go out into the world and go, God loves you, but they think we hate them, they will not believe us. If your God loves me so much, then why don't you? What they will instinctively know and understand is either we're not telling the truth and God doesn't love us, or we are telling the truth and we're not following him. See, people aren't convinced by arguments. Think of a, think of a, of a cultural battle that we fight right now. What, is, it, is it abortion, right? You're not going to talk somebody into your opinion about abortion with data and facts. If it could, we would all agree. We'd all be on the same side. We would simply present the facts and we'd go, right? There's something different. There's something in our hearts that moves. Listen, I, I can make the case. I can give you all the things, right? But what you need to believe that Jesus is real and loves you is an encounter and an experience with Jesus. Before you can express God's love into your life and community, you have to experience it for yourself in that, right? So that's the question. What will people see in this, in our newly created family? And I don't just mean in the rows. I mean when this happens in the public space, online, in, on Facebook. What do people say when they see us in our conversations? At your job, stay-at-home moms. What do the uh, other stay-at-home parents in your community think and see and feel about the Christians where you are? Well, this is what Paul's describing, what the church should look like, what it could look like. If we go back to 1 Corinthians now, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The whole book of 1 Corinthians is Paul writing to a church that was just wild, very gifted, very powerful, but 
very selfish and kind of created for themselves, right? And so he's been talking about all this stuff. First Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about communion. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gift, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. So are we tracking how we got the spiritual gifts? God sets us apart. He creates us as a family. And this family, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we bring people out there to reconciliation? And one significant part of that is through spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not going to do right now this big basic teaching about what do spiritual gifts are they, right? I'm going to show the purpose and the function, right? Because, well, because I want to. But here's like baseline spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are things that the Holy, or something that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer. It is spiritual power from the Holy Spirit working through you. A, holy, a spiritual gift is not the same as a natural talent. For instance, you may be a third grade teacher who is a Christian and you may not have the spiritual gift of teaching. Okay, you may have the spiritual gift of mercy. You may have the, uh, whatever of discernment, all that, right? So the spiritual gift gives a gift to each person. No, per- the only person in all of history who has had all of the spiritual gifts is Jesus. You do not have all of the spiritual gifts. What that means is that Crazy Uncle Harvey also has a spiritual gift, and you know why that is? So that you will need Crazy Uncle Harvey. So that you get to practice that patience. So that you get to practice all of those things. Right? So he gives us spiritual gifts. They're not natural talents and they're not natural abilities, right? So now we're going to look and see what are of these things, these spiritual gifts that he doesn't want us to be ignorant about. That he doesn't want us to be unaware of, right? So Paul describes it and we'll make some applications. Number two, verse two. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Okay, so he was talking to... The Corinthian church, they were Romans. They had the whole Roman pantheon of gods with the idols, with the emperor worship and all of that. And the deal is all of those idols and all of their religions, they have a code of conduct, right? Rules. And those rules tell you what you have to do. You have to offer this sacrifice at this time. And if you don't, that God will be mad and your crops won't grow, right? The problem is the idols don't talk back. And it seems like even when we do, it still rains anyway, or it doesn't rain, or we do it right. And so what Paul is saying is like, look, you follow gods. You were created to worship. It goes back to our idol series, right? Like if you're a workaholic, you follow gods. If you're an alcoholic, you follow gods. If you are all kinds of things, like we were built to worship. We are hardwired to worship. So, right, he says you were led astray by mute idols. Verse three, therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing. Not everything that happens in this room is necessarily and instinctively and, you know, without qualification of Jesus. So if you want to know if something is a spiritual gift or if something is just someone else, here's one way that you can tell. Spiritual gifts are always all about Jesus. So a spiritually, mis- uh, a spiritually gifted ministry will lead to more of Jesus, not necessarily more of you, which means that you may not even feel it, which means that you may not even know it. 
And do you know why God would give you a gift that is powerful and effective and not let you know it? Do you know why he would do that? So you don't begin worshiping that gift. So that you don't begin to believe that that gift is the only thing that you have to offer. So that you don't begin to evaluate and assess outcomes with God's favor. Right? So God doesn't give us all of the gifts so that we depend on each other, so that we need right. But what happens, he does give us a gift, and the plan is that we would begin to use the, those gifts. We would begin to act in those and begin to operate those. So the question then becomes, and this is what he tells us, not everything that everybody does looks like Jesus. So we find Jesus, and Jesus went and did a lot of things, but what Jesus never did was walk into a meeting and start just screaming like a crazy person. Right? So what we can say is, if your gift causes there to be chaos or confusion, guess what we've been looking at for the last like 11 weeks? The Holy Spirit hovers over chaos to put it in order. If the exercise of your spiritual gift is about you, or if it is about chaos, or it is about confusion, that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're in here and you're hooping and hollering, everybody's like, wait, what's going on? What, what are we doing, right? That's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be talking about spiritual things. It's not about the Holy Spirit. It's about you. That's what you're doing. But it feels good. Oh, but when I just, yeah, and I operate in my gift, I do that. It just feels so good for me. Maybe. I don't care. Making you feel good in this moment is neat. It is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has worked throughout history through martyrs, through people who have said yes to crosses and flames, and their testimony goes out because the question becomes, what makes them do that? See, when we make it about us, we get all kinds of crazy stuff. We get all sideways. When it becomes about us, we begin to think that we're the indispensable piece. So now let me kind of just gently kind of point to, this is why we use a teaching team. You're coming in December, you're going to start hearing from our teaching team again. You hear from, hear from them in the, um, in the summer, you hear through them periodically throughout the year. And the big part of that reason is because you need to know that my voice is not the voice of God. You need to, listen, I know it's heady. Guy stands up and he's prepared and he's got an iPad and a Bible and he's got spotlights and a, the opening band and all that. Like, I know, I get it. I understand it's heady. You need to know Jason Powers never died for your sins. You, you have to find Jesus for yourself. So you know what you need to hear? You need to hear from Rebecca Grieven. You need to hear what the Holy Spirit says to her because Rebecca Grieven has a gift. I believe that she has a gift from the Holy Spirit to teach, to instruct, to lead, and to guide, right? And the way that I know that is because when Rebecca teaches, I will often feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I will often be compelled to follow Jesus differently. That's, now I come up and go, you're right there, and thanks. I walk up and I'll and go, Rebecca, thank you for your ministry. But I don't walk home going, geez, I need to make, I need to find out how I can be more like Beck. I walk home when Rebecca has done her spiritually gifted service, and I go, Father, forgive me for being so far away from you. I want to be closer to you and more like you every single day. So we put the teaching team up as a discipline. It's for me. So that I know that you know that this isn't just about me. But it's for these gifted teachers. And it's for you. Because here's the thing. 
Anybody who tells you that salvation in any form or fashion, are you listening? Anybody that tells you that salvation depends on them, that if it ha- anybody that tells you if you will just get on a plane and come to my place, then you will have revival. Anybody who, anybody who says if you vote for me, then your nation will be safe, what they are doing is they are setting you up to be manipulated. We have one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he only works through fallen men and women in this world. What that means is he is your hopes for salvation, not the president. And I say this again on the verge of, of, a, of an election year, because everything on the news, everything in your feed, everything in your life is going to tell you, if this person doesn't get it, we are doomed. And what I would say is you're right. If we don't get to Jesus eventually everything that is not with Jesus is going to fall apart. But our message is not a line left, a line right, go red, go blue. Our version is go Jesus. Now, do I say that you shouldn't vote? That's dumb. You should go vote. You should go vote. But you should have no illusions that whoever gets elected is fallen, will disappoint you, and will not usher in the kingdom of God. Do you know what that frees us up to do? to go, guess what about my guy? My guy. My guy's terrible too. That's what we have in common. Whether you voted right or left, your guy is fallen and broken. It's all about Jesus. And the more that the church walks in the gifts and the life of the Holy Spirit, the more people see that. Not our politics, not our fury, our Jesus. The Jesus who came to make peace, who brought the ministry of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now, it describes it, right? Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. So my, every time I've taken like a spiritual gift inventory, my top spiritual gift comes back as encouragement, right? That's why like, when I see you, I just want to be like, you're awesome. Hey, go get Jesus. That's why I'm so high strung, right? Because I know. Here's why, like, I come in here and, like, and I'm talking about Jesus. And here's the thing I know. We're going to put our hope in a political process. And you know why I'm high strung? Because that doesn't work. If it worked, it would have worked. But it doesn't work. So I don't want you just rushing. Oh, oh, what if that? No. Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. More to Jesus. Give your job to Jesus. Your life to Jesus. Your marriage. Your money. All of it. Give to Jesus. Wait on him. Trust him. And see what happens. Because we've already done all the other stuff. We've done all of the other stuff. As much as we can. As hard as we can. For as long as we can. I'm like, why doesn't it work? We should keep trying. Stop. Do something different. It's all, all about Jesus. Hey, be weary of people who will manipulate you by telling you that they have something that you don't. Do you know what you have as a Christian? You have the Spirit of God which hovered over waters resident in you. You don't need tax cuts. You don't, you don't need all that stuff. It's nice, not nice. I don't know. Figure that out, right? We can have the conversations. But what we do is we trust that God is working. It's like, I got sidetracked. Don't do that. Go. Here. There are different activities with the same God works all of them. 
A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. Okay, so these are good. Healing? You're talking about healing, right? To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues, right? And here's the thing. When I talk about tongues, some of you go, "Ah, it's going to happen, right? And some of you are like, if it happens, I'm leaving, right? That's not the point. That's not the point. I've seen it, and my spirit has been edified and encouraged. And I've seen it, and my spirit is on edge. I've seen it both ways. Now, here's what i got to acknowledge, right? Nothing here says that these gifts are done. I am not a biblical cessationist. I, I don't, I believe that, the, that what, but I believe what the scripture does is teaches us how those gifts are used, and it is anything but a free-for-all. It is orderly, it is peaceful, and when it's done, the people in the room have a sense of having encountered Jesus. Not made my, oh, oh, I was so, I had, Right. Right. Take cold medicine and you can feel the same thing. That ain't it. It ain't about the Holy Spirit making my heart go boom, boom, right? It's about the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. People every week come up to me, and I'm so grateful for this. It encourages me because I need encouragement. Right? People come and go, hey, it's a great message. I want to tell you recently a different sort of experience has happened. People come up to me and they begin confessing their sins. My marriage is in danger because I just, I've got this problem. I've got this addiction. I've got this. Here's what I want to tell you. That is what the Holy Spirit looks like. This is a safe place. I want you to know this is a safe place to not have it all together. But it is not a safe place for you to become and be comfortable in your sin and looking at others who sin differently and kind of point and poke the finger. We are all on a journey of transformation, right? I need to read this or we're never going to get out of here. <laughs> Performing a miracle is another. Yeah, oh, speaking tongues. I already did our leg. So here's the, here's the idea. Spiritual gifts demonstrate the beauty in diversity. Okay, this is a lesson that we get from creation. Look at all the trees in the world. Like I could just, I could just spin around, right? And we've got like some red tip fotinias out here. Uh, I've got some mesquite thorns on places. I've got oak trees and cedar trees, infinite kind of trees. Why? God in the beginning could have created one kind of tree that met every single one of our needs. It could have grown fruit. It could have been useful for building. It could have been all of that. Instead, what he did is he littered the world with all kinds of trees, even gross trees like cedar trees, right? And you're like, why would you do that, Lord? And he says, because I am an abundantly good creator. So here's the imagine. Imagine that you've got a giant toolbox, right? Like one of those mechanics toolboxes with 47 shelves and all that stuff and you go and every shelf you open it up and all that's in there is Phillips head screwdrivers that's all you've got that's what a church that only has teachers looks like but listen I don't think we're on that side I think more like we're a church that just says let's just go do something neat good you need to understand the kingdom it's got to be both You can't just be radical activists without knowledge, but also you can't just sit down and go, hmm, well, let us consider more, like, stop both, like, like, learn and go, get it, get out and get going, right? So here's the thing, and then share this with my heart, when we get to heaven in eternity, 
what we're told over and over again, every time there's a description of the crowd in the kingdom of heaven, what it says is there will be people from every tongue and tribe and nation that will be gathered together. And I don't think they're going to lose their distinction, but what we're going to get is this beautifully diverse worship service in heaven. And what I hope is that his church looks like that now. I'm a fan of diversity, all kinds of diversity, racial diversity, socioeconomic diversity, people from different backgrounds, people with different last names, people with different experiences. Do you know why? Because that makes us better. That gives us different experiences. That means that when that increases the likelihood that anytime somebody walks through that door, they can look at us and go, there's room for me here. If my message only reaches young, spiky-headed white guys, I, I, lo- I love you, young, spiky-headed white guys. I love you. <laughs> but if we're all just young, spiky-headed white guys, we're not all here. And that's not okay. The Holy Spirit loves diversity. So we seek it out. People who don't look like us, people who don't vote like us, people who don't even think like us, people who aren't, who are going different. And we sit with them and we ask them, we just go, why, how, I thought you loved Jesus. How could you do that, right? But the difference is we do it at the table with each other, knowing that we are accepted, that we are feeling crazy Uncle Harvey, why, why do you do that, right? There's power in diversity. The Holy Spirit creates diversity. Let's go, let's finish this, verse 11. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. I want to talk real quick about we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. That's a hard analogy to make, right? Because... Uh, we don't know what's wrong with the Greeks, right? Like, why would we, okay, with the Greeks. So I think a better analogy today, one that's front and center, right? When Paul talks about making peace between the Jews and the Greeks, this is Paul saying, you have been given one spirit to drink, so there is no longer any Israeli and Palestinian. Could you imagine that? Like as we watch them lobbing bombs at each other and this never-ending escalation and it's always your fault, no, your fault, no, your fault. Now imagine a world where both of them looked at each other and forgave. I don't know how that works out on geopolitical terms. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. Thousands of years of wounds and damage. It's so complex and it's so complicated. But I have the, for, the good fortune that I don't have to operate on geopolitical terms. I can look at people and just go, well, this is Chris and he may annoy me, but nowhere near as much as the Palestinians and the Israelis, as the Jews and the Greeks. You haven't. You're great. I love you, man. So, so the, the idea, though, is he brings us together. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, he makes those distinctions disappear because we have one spirit, because it's the same heart beating in each of us, right? So let's go. Um, And we're all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. So here's what we say, the fruit what happens when we all do this, when we use our gifts and we use it to bring diversity and we go get the people and we make it all about Jesus? The fruit of biblical giftedness is empowered unity, empowered unity. It means that we are all together, not the same, that's dumb and that's boring, not the same, together. 
where we recognize and go, man, there are distinctions between you and me. There are things that we see different, that we even passionately disagree on. But we believe that Jesus is king. We believe that he's coming back. We believe that he wants us to fight for him. And we believe he wants us to, to love and to serve and get right. So we are unified, but we are powerful together. But not powerful like the world thinks. We're not powerful like a political action committee. We're not powerful like the HOA, right? We're not powerful like that. We are powerful in our service. We are powerful in our humility. We are powerful in our giftedness. We take these gifts that come right before it and we just exercise them man we just practice them and we just everywhere we go that we see we begin to love and serve and humble ourselves and talk to people about grace and forgiveness and we begin to get free and we begin to love reconciliation and it becomes our story so much I, when people get to me I love talking to people about what my kids do do you know why because it's right here in my face and I can see it all the time what if God's movement in my life was like this I could see God working in my kids. I could see God working in my job. So now we have to acknowledge something uncomfortable. I'm going to call them creepy Christians. You know what creepy Christians are, right? If you don't, don't worry. It's okay. Someone will explain it. I think this can be one of the biggest problems that we have with creepy Christians, right? These are the people who at your office, they are super judgmental. They are, they, they condemn other people. This is, and I, like, I know there's probably a lot of stay-at-home moms in here, right? You, you've got the neighborhood Facebook page that you're on, right? And it's probably pretty toxic and there's a lot of that, right? Or you've got your, your circle of people. What I'm saying is like, listen, as Christians, as a Christian, you have more in common with me, a more fundamental compatibility with me than you do with people who earn the same income, vote the same way, come from the same part of town. See, that spirit of God in us is what unifies us. So here's what it might look like for us to walk in empowered unity. It means that you go to your work tomorrow. Ladies, you go, um, you, you, you call the Christians or they call the group in your neighborhood and you invite them over. And at your job, you first call the Christians. We always want to start with the non-believers, right? Because they're more fun, because they have more like in common, right? We, like, we look at, oh, we're just going to do witness in a ministry. Don't start there. Start with the Christians, especially the creepy ones. And just start and just say, hey, what if we spent 15 minutes at lunch? Will you spend 15 minutes at lunch with me three times a week and we'll just, I just want to pray for the office. I just want to pray for stuff. Here's what's going to happen, right? Like creepy Karen, if your name is Karen, I'm sorry. It was just there, right? Creepy Christian Karen comes in and she's like, well, we need to pray for old Jenna because do you hear about Jenna? Jenna's terrible. She's the worst and she lies and she's terrible and she's and she did this. And we're sitting there and going, okay, wait, she keeps going, right? And then if they're done, we just go, let's pray for Jenna. And right there, you just start praying. Lord, I pray that you will give Jenna peace at home and I pray that you will make Jenna peace. And so your response is to pray. And then you ask creepy Karen, Karen, what can I pray for you about? And they're going to, oh, it's going to be weird. It's going to be bad. Like, you're going to hate it. But you know what the Lord's going to be doing in you? Making you like him. Because creepy Karen bothers him. To, not like bothers him, right? Like, he's not about to take her salvation away. He's not going to take her salvation away. But you know, what he, you know what he does? He does want to go, I believe there's a part. And the same thing he wants to do in you. He wants to look at Karen and go, Karen, that ain't it. Karen, you're yelling at people and you haven't prayed for a person yet. Well, what if you're the one? who just sits there with the creepy Christians and teaches the creepy Christians how to pray instead of gossip. The church just got better. The church just got better equipped. 
So you invite the neighborhood people into your home and you pray for them. And you maybe you invite, once you get the creepy ones not quite so creepy, right? Like you diminish it a little bit. Then you start inviting people who don't know Jesus over your home because you know we're going to love each other. We're going to serve each other. And they're going to see Jesus in our gathering, in our midst. That's my prayer for us. That people will come here so devastated that they feel that they're on the on death's door. I truly hope people show up here knowing that they have zero answers left. Because then, guess what? Well, then it's easy. Oh, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He is the answer. All that other stuff has just been getting you here. So now you're here. Let's go. Right? That's what we want. I hope that this would be a place where people would know Jesus and follow him so well that people experience it. I would pray that you would identify your gifts and begin to serve in those. My prayer is that you would gather around other believers and that you wouldn't gather around doctrine or that you wouldn't gather, gather around all these other things, but you would gather, ga- geez, I should say that word, that you would gather around Jesus' heart for a world that doesn't know him. And I pray that you would begin to pray for him and that you would begin to engage with people who don't know him, whose lives are far away from him and very different from you. And you would just begin to love those people with Jesus' love until they ask you why. See, that's what spiritual gifts are for, that you would see people's needs and get involved. Don't be creepy. When you see their needs, right, don't be creepy about them. But you hear that Juliana, whatever, has a thing. She has a need. She's poor. Her husband lost her job. You know what you can do? Get all the creepy Christians and give, ask everybody for 20 bucks. And then you go buy a $200 gift card. And you know what you do? You set it on their table anonymously. Because it's not about you. It's not about the creepy Christians. It's not about anybody. It's about Jesus. And they'll wonder. They'll know that it came from someone, right? But you just did something in Jesus' name. That's my prayer. I want to close with a quote from John Piper, and it's hard, okay? I love you, but it's hard. John Piper, he's a pastor in Minnesota, writes this. I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a basic problem. More basic is the problem of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. Human nature is more prone to tear down than it is to build up. The path of least resistance leads to grumbling and criticism and gossip, and many there be that follow it. But the gate is narrow, and the way is strewn with obstacles, which leads to edification and the strengthening of faith. So Jesus, I pray that you would give us your heart for each other. And while we are certainly talking about spiritual gifts, Father, it is the practice of these gifts that is significant. Father, we have access to every good thing in you. Every gift that we need, every word that we need is available to us. So I pray that you would help us wait on you. I pray that your church would move in power. And I don't just pray for River City. I pray for Epic Life Church and Pastor Brent. I pray for Redemption Bible Church Pastor Blair. I pray for Oakwood. I pray for New Braunfels Bible Church. I pray for every for tree of life, for every church that we pass along the way. Father, I pray that your spirit would move and would draw us close. I pray that River City would be a gathering place where people would gather and they would fall in love with you and they would go back and search their churches and serve you, that they would be catalysts for good and for empowered unity, all in your spirit's name. Jesus, we need you. We need more of you. 
So forgive us where we fail. Forgive us for not. Forgive us for not. Lead us into your presence. Jesus, thank you for your love and for your grace. We ask all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.